Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, Marina Willer, a graphic designer and filmmaker at Pentagram, the world's largest independent design consultancy. And Nadine Shaheen, a type designer and legibility researcher with Monotype. On the agenda, the responsibility of designers to lend their talent to a cause, how the languages we speak shape our worldview, and just a lot of love for typography. Pentagram has worked on some of the most successful or pervasive brand identities since being founded 45 years ago, including the Serpentine Galleries, Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign logo, and Macmillan Cancer Trust. Marina joined Pentagram as one of 21 partners in 2012. Nadine works at Monotype, a type design firm, and led the team that recently reworked Johnston, the typeface used by Transport for London. Her typeface Kufia was the first to include a simultaneously designed matching Arabic and Latin parts. Nadine starts off by talking about her experience with TFL, reworking London's most important font. One of the projects that uh, we worked on in the last year is the revival of the Johnston typeface for the uh, London Underground. So we worked with Transport for London to bring back the original soul and design intention of the Johnston typeface. Uh, the designer for this project is Malou Verlom, who works on my team, and he did this um amazing work uh, looking back at the uh, original intention of the typeface, the original drawings, and then looking at the current typeface in use and trying to bring back that original design intention, the original look and feel, the soul of the typeface, and try to bring uniformity as well and design in a way that adapts to how we uh, see type today. So, for example, when the Johnston was designed 101 years ago by now, there were no screens. There were no, you know, extremely large uh, print out. It, it's a completely different environment now and the typeface needs to perform in a way that is uh, not expected or was uh, unthinkable at the time of its original design. So this gives us a new set of rules for our playground, right? So we need to play in new rules and exist in new environments. And the typeface is one of the iconic typefaces worldwide. Everyone knows it. Uh, it's one of the uh, gems of the type design world. And it was a privilege and an honor to work on it. I think it's such a wonderful project and iconic and we at Pentagram, we are seen as quite nerdy with, with type. I'm probably one <laughs> of the least uh, nerdy ones there because I'm quite broad. And I'm, I mean, we're all very broad at Pentagram, so it's not an advantage as such. But because I do lots of different media and a lot of film and everything. But I think we, we really love the idea of the designer as an archaeologist, which is very much what you're describing and going to the archives and and finding these gems and being able to go back in history. And we very much believe that type is really a voice that represents the era and the stages of history and also the people and the group or organization or institution that was there. And uh, I think when you do a job well as a designer and a type designer, you can express accurately what that means. And sometimes people think we're crazy and we're nerds <laughs> and we almost talk about that ourselves as Monty Python trying to talk about the, each curve and why it yeah. is like that and the angle. And, yeah. and we have these conversations in my yeah. team and, and we get all around the screen and say, why is it so important that this 
has to be 45 <laughs> degrees versus and this number looks like an elephant versus <laughs> that one and yeah. and you would laugh with us I'm sure yeah, but yeah, I think we do the same <laughs> yeah and uh, we take this very seriously I can s imagine for you it's even so much more but I think that then mixing that with the challenges of today you know the archaeology then being reflected on how do you then translate all that history to our times and the honor of like you said you know bringing such yeah. a beautiful history to our times and I'd love to hear from you how you then take the challenges of imagining you know how type can work now in virtual reality and when you won't even have a screen we're very interested in looking at typography in virtual reality and augmented reality. In terms of the new applications of type, these two are now the biggest challenges facing us and where we need to spend more research to understand what it is like to design a typeface that will sit with an unpredictable background. Because we don't know what comes. If it's augmented reality, if it's on a head-up display in a car and you're driving and you have a message on your screen, we don't know what's in the background. So it's unprecedented for us to be able to uh, recommend typography or recommend typefaces or just to understand how the reading process is happening when you have so many different factors coming into play. So when it comes to type and, and the function and, and virtual reality, and I'm really happy that you, you mentioned the physicality of the typeface and the real world. Something that I always say is that the typeface cannot be uh, divorced from the environment it lives in. And, and typefaces are ingredients and they come to life when someone uses them. So I'm a typeface designer, but until you have taken my typeface and used it somewhere, that typeface is simply a software that sits on some computer. It will only come to life when someone has used it and used it well, hopefully. So when it comes to virtual reality or even other applications, what we need to focus always, at least in my view, is what is the function of that typeface? What is it supposed to do? And so when we understand the environment it will live in, uh, the, the the design setting, the application, the, the, the function it needs to fill, and, and also the users who will be reading this typeface and the environment, and even sometimes the ambient lighting, this is something that's coming up for, with the legibility research. It's not enough, the typeface, it's not enough what we do with it. It's also important to think of the people reading in this typeface and in what environment they live in. And there is an effect of how much lighting there is in the setting, in, so ambient lighting, on even how we read white on black text versus black on white text. So it's just so many different factors coming to play. And what we need to do is uh, focus on the function and try to sort of simplify the problem into smaller problems so that we can isolate and study each one and then see how they come together and but yeah virtual reality augmented reality it's just a, like literally this is what we discuss now when we sit down to talk about research yeah i i think we i don't know sometimes it feels that we we live in a time that is both more exciting than ever but more <laughs> yeah. scary than ever in yeah, terms absolutely. of the speed of change yeah with technology yeah but it also affected the generation of I think the smartphone has changed behaviors in such a brutal way that we're seeing the consequences uh, right now, yeah. <laughs> like this year, <Yes. laughs> more than ever in a way yeah. that is so tragic that could yeah. have impact. Uh, you know, we're not talking about design now, but yeah. as yeah. designers, I think we very much worry about how we can, you know, what we can do to change things and yeah. the impact of our work. You almost have to stop everything and think, you know, what can we do with all of those changes and yeah, totally. um, yeah. not just worry about <laughs> the typeface. <laughs> not just the serifs <laughs> and the spacing and the curtains. Yeah. No, no, the real world outside. And yeah. not yeah. just um, 
Exactly, because I, I think a few years ago, everyone was just worried about being more digital. And now we are thinking, you know, the digital has had quite a tragic um, impact on behavior as well. And in one side, and it's yeah. it's also brought a lot of excitement, but, um, you know, it makes you think and, and it makes you also want to remember the real world a lot more and yeah. and think of how and can our you, responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, there was last year the experiment, the AI, the robot that, uh, or you know, bot, not robot, uh, that Microsoft released. And within a couple of days, it became totally racist and uh, they had to shut it down because it, it was learning behavior based on social media. So it was on Twitter and it was interacting with regular users. And by, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but yeah, but like within two days, it was a complete racist monster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think like, yeah, I mean, social media in a way has um, democratized access to, uh, you know, communication and, and the ability for everyone to get a microphone. But at the end of the day, not maybe not everyone. I'm struggling, so I'd like to see what you what you think we can do uh, to, yes, to deal with I, all of these things. Uh, the only thing that I do feel is that the world's in such a difficult time now, a very negative place where we yes. are with Trump <laughs> and Brexit. Oh, my God, that yes. The, this generation has been very much affected by the behavior of smartphone and all of that, where you only think of the immediate and you don't really have a mission to change the world anymore you don't even your life you know you just think of today 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 that in a way I think the next generation might start to think again about the future and think about you know I think we are all waking up a bit we're having to wake up and I'm hoping that this might instigate change because in a way there is a lot of people uh, we are having again some kind of common not enemy, because that sounds very simplistic, but the, and that, struggle, yeah. yeah, and we are all again feeling we yeah. need, we yeah. need to fight again for something yeah. like our generation somehow had this, yeah. Yeah. and there is a sense of common ambition coming again and yeah. all of that, and yeah. that will also in design I think be yeah. reflected because in the sixties there was amazing design, you know, like yeah. May sixty eight, <laughs> and yeah. you remember all yeah. the inspiration we took from France and yeah. so yeah. many things, which I think that created beautiful design and. And we see in Holland, uh, for example, they create amazing. There's always good examples of what yes. can, design can do. I yes. think there's always examples of, uh, in some um, in places, of how you can do things that instigate debate and all of that. I'm hoping that more of that starts to happen, yeah. and more debates and more mm-hmm. joint efforts happen, yeah. Yeah. and there is again a sense of wanting to do things, and yeah. and that design can have a purpose again. Yeah, like bringing designers together and uh, people who think the same or or at least worry about the same things and having some sort of collective so that we can work together. Yeah, I, I don't because know. Because it is our area. I mean, yeah. and, and communication at the end of the day. I yeah. mean, we, Pentagram, I know we never talk about this and I, we never said it, but we did do the Hillary campaign and we did it for free and because we were trying to avoid what happened. (laughs) But I think it is a lesson, and even for us, because obviously Hillary represents a part of the society which is not the part that feels excluded and is very similar to what happened in Brexit, you know. So there is a lesson there, and Trump gives a lesson of communication. He speaks 
he doesn't care what he's saying, and no. uh, we all know. I don't need yeah. to say this, yeah. but it does make you think about everything. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't want to say things because I'm not a specialist. But you keep reading about this post-truth thing. You can yeah. say anything because it doesn't matter doesn't whether matter. it's true. Any, no. and even with Brexit, they were talking about the NHS, and no one ex- <laughs> apologized. <laughs> the bus. <laughs> the no. bus. No, no one no. apologized for the the lies, and yeah. and Boris Johnson is still around. But after yeah. all, they lied about you know, everything. You're listening to Thought Starters with Marina Willer, partner at Pentagram, and Nadine Shaheen, a type designer and legibility researcher at Monotype. I'm so fascinated about how you can work in Arabic and Latin because how your brain works. <laughs> I, think, I think, obviously, I'm re- yeah. really fascinated by typography as a designer, but we get quite nerdy about these things because we love typography. But I think for anyone in a broader sense, it's fascinating how your brain works in two systems almost because the two languages work in different ways. And I, I you know, sometimes we get projects where we have to work. I've worked in Cyrillic and Latin and I've, you know, sometimes we have to work in Arabic and, and then you're trying to imagine how would people read in different and I'm doing an exhibition, for example, for the Barbican now, which okay. is beautiful, and it has to go to different countries. And we're trying okay. to estimate how we're going <laughs> to do it when it's Japanese, Chinese, right. Cyrillic. Yeah. And yeah. we all know that this is quite a challenge because even yeah. the space, how we're going to be read from yeah. this direction, that direction. Yeah. How do you do this? Because you were <laughs> obviously brought up probably. Yes, yes. To, I mean, in, I'm in Lebanese. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'd it, love to hear that story a little ah, bit of ooh, how okay. you read and think in different uh, ways at the same time. Yeah, it's it's a mind shift. Like literally you have to switch gears. The thing is like in Lebanon, we um, so obviously our main language is, is Arabic. We speak Arabic, but we also are very fluent in a second language. And that's usually English or French. In my case, it was English. And so you grow up at the same time in Lebanon, learning to read in both and you get used to reading in both. And at school, we study um, maths and sciences in English in any case, but history and geography in Arabic. And then so it's a mixed approach to education. You get both languages and you get to be proficient in studying in both. And I never really really thought about this because this is how things are. You know, you grow up that way and that is the norm for you. And then suddenly when I went to graphic design school at, you know, American University of Beirut um, and our teacher was telling us like, you know, you are very special because you design in two languages at the same time and you read in two languages and your brain works for both. And we're like, what? We're special? Really? No. (laughs) But it's a little bit funny because I don't know what it's like to not be able to do that. But it only became apparent when I was doing legibility research for Arabic, just how different the brain functions are. So for example, this is maybe getting a little bit too tacky, so just stop me if it's too much. But uh, when we are reading in, in English, we read from left to right. And this actually influences the way you perceive the world. So if I were to put three bottles of water in front of you and say, please pick the first one, you'll pick the one on the left. Because the way you perceive the world is biased by the reading direction of the script you read in primarily. It's called directional bias. And it happens after one year of learning to read. So even kids who start reading at five, by six, they will have a directional bias. Before, it's just according to chance. If you read primarily in Arabic, it's the other way around. Because in Arabic, we read from right to 
to left and you perceive the world again from right to left. So if you bring someone who only reads Arabic and you put three bottles of water, they will pick the one on the right. We can do an exercise. We don't have a pen and paper now, but maybe the listeners might want to do this. So if I ask you to draw the picture of a boy kicking a ball, research has shown that you will draw the boy on the left and the ball on the right, and the action will go from left to right. Because in English, the action, the verb comes up before the object. So the boy kicks the ball. So in your mind, this sort of illustrates the movement for you and the action for you. So the boy will kick the ball to the right. Uh, in Arabic, and this is what the research has shown, it's the other way around. If you go to uh, Arab readers who are primarily reading in Arabic and you ask them to, you know, again, draw a boy kicking a ball, they will kick it in the other direction because the way that an Arab reader would perceive the world is biased again by the reading direction. So it's from right to left. So uh, if you are in the cases like me where you read both equally, it's just based on chance. So there is no bias anymore because they cancel each other out. I was consulting for an HMI uh, design for a car and we were even discussing the, the before and after and the arrows. Like the, the arrows, obviously, if you put them in an Arabic context, they flip around their meaning, what is forward and what is backwards because there's a change in direction. So coming to a point where you are able to design for both at the same time is, yeah, it's a bit tricky. <laughs> you know, my father is, um, he knows, I don't know, six or seven languages. And he says that every time he learns a new language, he discovers a new side of his personality. Yeah. Because there's something about the language that doesn't translate. And I think there's also that. And I know we're not even talking about new alphabets, yeah, which is much more profound. Yeah. Um, and I think that to me is so... Again, let's send this to, to Trump. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, it's so amazing about how human beings become more complete when they learn yeah. more about different cultures, Absolutely. different languages, Absolutely. different, you know, it's just a shame that we reduce ourselves, the possibilities of learning yeah. about each other when we accept yeah. more cultures into our countries and so on, yeah. how we reduce ourselves when we just know one, one yeah. way of being. So I actually had a question for you. Because of your work with branding and your work with film, do you see intersections between the two disciplines, whether it is in storytelling or it is in personality and character building? Because, I mean, on the one hand, they are quite different fields, but at the same time, the ability to tell a story, uh, whether it is in a film or in, in a branding environment, surely there might be intersections there. I, I don't know if yeah, you I could... think that both uh, are very much about storytelling. Yeah. So you normally start by trying to find what is the core story, mm. and um, not try and make that core uh, too uh, complicated. So as, as long as you find what is the essence of it first, I think every brand needs to be single-minded. I think that brands are more simple in a way in its core. But I, I think sometimes we mistake by simple by simplistic and yeah. reductionist. I think yeah. it's similar to what we're talking about. Yes. Brands can also have a, a real tapestry of things and be yeah. interesting and rich yeah. uh, and not just be one banging on one thing yeah. because then once you find the essence, you can make that essence really rich and, and build the tapestry around it. And with st uh, I think with film, you have to find the one, say, idea in the middle that mm -hmm. 
will kind of permeate mm -hmm. and the narrative uh, and not just be a disjointed narrative of lots of things that are piling up and don't hang together. Uh, so it feels like a bad patchwork. Yeah. Uh, I think that then, oh, let's add this and let's add that. <laughs> and then there yeah. wasn't one co spine coherent. Yeah. So yeah. that finding that coherent thing that holds it together yeah. and is based on more or less one thought yeah. is the, the thing that is important. And then the richness, I think, has to be there to make it interesting because if you if it's too simplistic and, and not interesting enough, then it doesn't work. I think tapestry is, is important. And then the level of tapestry depends on the level of you know if if the brand isn't you know if it's for something very simple and you're trying to make it too <laughs> much more interesting than it is <laughs> yeah. but if it's you're doing something for you know a very amazing organization that has yeah. layers and layers of yeah. history and yeah. it's got to be beautifully woven together you yeah. you know you have to do justice to the subject yeah. and it's the same with film so for me it, it works in a similar way yeah. uh, it's all about storytelling and using images and words at the end yeah. of the day uh, so it works and then it's just different skills to to craft uh, we've spoken already about the uh, the amount of uh, you know information being shared or liked or what else on social media, and at the end of the day, it creates a lot of noise. And we've talked about the the fact that we uh, we want to tell stories, right, as part of the branding exercise. And so, how do how do you go about telling the story of a brand in such a noisy environment? How how can we how can we still be able to have that kind of clear communication. So do you find that it's more challenging these days than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago in terms of the international space, the, the amount of information that we can throw at people, the, the amount of ability to stand out and be different? Is there anything and you know that you've noticed that works or doesn't work? I, I think yeah. that luckily good work, I'm not yeah. saying that yeah. our work is good. I'm saying in general, but it is. <laughs> good work stands out. Yeah. And I think good work means choosing the right media as well yeah. and not bombarding people. People are fed up. Yeah. And I actually been talking, for example, to my partners in America, and I really feel for them because we met just after the election, all the partners met, and it was, yeah. I mean, the blues. And I, I thought <laughs> it was so amazing because, you know, like Michael Beirut, who had done all the work, he was so positive and... Um, I really respect them and, and putting up with what happens. <laughs> and um, a lot of them were saying we're not even following Twitter or anything anymore because we can't, you know, we're not watching the news, yeah. <laughs> some of them. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think yeah. it's probably not true because there is a lot of hope that things will change sooner than because it can't go on like this. But I think that the bombardment doesn't work anyway. You just do fewer things and good things. And I think good work does stand out. And yeah. um, But part of the good work, like I said, is choosing the right channels yeah. and fewer channels. And that's, we normally advise our clients and, and w what to do with it. And even though we, we don't necessarily do, the, say, the campaigns, normally when creating a piece of work, you end up creating whether or not doing the campaign, you create how it would be launched to the world yeah. naturally. It, you know, I'm sure yeah. you know, sometimes in doing a typeface, it already yeah. appears how we could, you know, sit on yes. the pavement or, yeah. Or, yeah. or be projected in the sky because yeah. of the nature of it, right? It, it, the story tells itself. The idea tells yeah. itself. Yeah. It's very much yeah. How, yeah. how you do things is how we do things. Because yes. um, 
And I, uh, I think collaboration is a point. It's so nice to collaborate with people like yeah, yourselves because you. <laughs> I think it's great when we can and we can afford or the client can afford to think of a story when you're thinking of a voice, uh, the way it speaks and the way it looks as in, yeah. because I think the... Uh, it's like a puzzle sometimes, isn't it? The yeah, yeah. the way the the letters, the words that they come together, they mix. If yeah. you can imagine, the mixed languages and yeah. you know that subject of language to me is fascinating because of what it means. Yeah. I'm fascinated by typefaces, by what they express and what they mean, not so much by what they look. Of course, I love the look of them. Yeah. I'm not gonna well, lie, associations but the, and the, how they affect you. And, yeah, and yeah. when I was at Rock College doing my masters, actually, my final piece was about the tragic loss of you know how many languages are disappearing all the time. And in my country, I came. Yeah. I didn't even say, but come from Brazil originally, and you know, so many of the native languages disappear all the time, and they, there's no no one. No evidence of them anymore. It's all yeah. gone. Yeah. And because, you know, the, these people uh, are, are just dying and, um, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, you might not believe this, but there's been instances where even like in the Middle East, the Arabs were afraid of the Arabic language dying because it just couldn't keep up with with latin like latin based languages like english or french because its complexity was uh, an impediment towards printing quickly so this is you know like more 50 years ago or more and there were calls even to just give up the script completely just because technology wasn't there to support the fast printing of arabic so books cost more newspapers cannot be printed as quickly or what else and there were actual calls to reform the script and sometimes some people were saying let's just dump it completely and switch to latin and like Turkey did. And so it's not just the small languages <laughs> that sometimes are being threatened. It's even large languages with a very large population associated with that. But uh, the questions at this point, and it's also something for me to struggle because I speak more English than Arabic. And, and sometimes I have to remind myself when I do have the opportunity to speak Arabic, like, no, 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 switch to Arabic now because you don't get this often. It's a delicacy for me now. But it's so easy to switch into English or to switch into some of the most popular languages because everyone else speaks it. And But when, like you said before, when we switch languages, your father said that when he learns a new language, he gains something. And the opposite is true. When we give up a language, you lose. Exactly. Yeah. Because every language has words that cannot be translated. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't know that, you don't know the notion of what that is. Yeah. I think it's a, a, a scary time, but I'm hoping that we can start to find this energy to to connect with each other a bit more and see that it's not only we need like-minded people to be more together, but I think design and communications have to play a role in this era. And maybe we need to find, uh, start to create a community like they did like they do in Holland, for example, yes. yeah. and start to discuss a bit more. And yeah. because there is some kind of lesson being learned from what happened in Brexit and Trump yeah. of how communications have succeeded in a bad way there. Yeah. So how can design can help turn things around? Then maybe we have to start to have more discussions about, even if it's creating debate. Yeah. constant debate about this yeah. until we figure out no one knows the answer yeah even if but, we disagree you know maybe there, there's a, a space space yeah. to discuss until mm -hmm. you know yeah. and maybe that's one thing I, I think we can all 
um, you know, have a <laughs> over glasses of wine, yes. <laughs> we can start to talk more. Yeah. Actually, like um, speaking of the languages and the words that can exist in only one language, there's a very good uh, word in German. It's called Stammtisch, which means a regular table. And oh. this is this is something where you have a regular table once a month, where whoever wants to talk about the specific topics so Tipu Stamtish is the one which I is like that. a regular table about typography we can have a regular table for design activism <laughs> I, s- I think that fun. sounds good yeah, yeah. yeah, we should do something no? sounds, okay. sounds like a great idea <laughs> okay cool That was Marina Willer, partner at Pentagram and Nadine Shaheen, a type designer and legibility researcher at Monotype This has been Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DN Co. project for White City Place. Produced by David Michon and edited by Claire Crofton and Claire Urban. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram at White City Place, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. 